Better late than never. Listen. Yes, better late than never. I've got a story to tell you today, but we have to have a little bit of a backstory before we go in there, before we just start jumping right on in. Our scripture today comes from John 20, verses 19 through 31. And our scripture today says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas who was one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas, he was there this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been late to the party? I hate to be late in general. But being late to a party makes me feel very uncomfortable. I feel like I'm already behind if I'm late. I miss the early jokes and the stories and the conversation so that when someone makes reference to one of those later on, I feel left out. Or perhaps everybody laughs except me because I wasn't there to hear the joke. All because I was late to the shindig. 
Today, this Sunday, is a lot like being late to the party. We recall some of the excitement and the surprise and the enthusiasm of last week. But this week, the enthusiasm isn't here. We're missing it. We're missing out on the enormous emotion, the elation of a space filled with worshipers. Often this Sunday in the liturgical calendar is referred to as Low Sunday. And it really is a low Sunday, emotionally as well as numerically. In typical years, we may not notice the low numbers if it were not for what happened last Sunday. One of the disciples of Jesus, he was late to the party. I wouldn't necessarily call it a party, but for today, bear with me. Thomas missed Easter by a whole week. All the other disciples, they were locked away, hidden in the upper room. Why were they locked away? Why were they hiding? They were hiding from those who wanted Jesus dead. They were afraid they were next. Of course I would hide. Now imagine this. We're in the upper room, okay? We're all disciples today. We're in the upper room. Everything is locked. No one can get in this room. But suddenly, Jesus himself stood in front of them. Where did he come from? What? <laughs> Let's talk about an epic party trick. <laughs> I mean, really. He greeted them not with rebuke, not with punishment, not with scolding because, you know, they all bolted, right? No. What does he say? He greets them with shalom, peace be with you. He shows them his wounds, his hands, his side. He commissions them to the work of God himself by reminding them that God sent him Jesus, sent Jesus, and he, Jesus, was sending them forth to go and do. He was also equipping them with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the excitement, the wonder the disciples experienced seeing the Lord Jesus all of a sudden standing right in front of them? I mean, he'd just been crucified, dead, and buried, right? What a party that would have been. There's the party. There's the party. Jesus came back. Hey, guys, guess what? Did you see him? Can you believe it? But Thomas, he wasn't there. In fact, nobody knows where he was. He might have been off somewhere, caught up in his own shock and grief. He might have just been 
hiding out, wanting to be alone. Alone in his own sorrow. Wallowing. Hey, he might have even been down the street at the coffee hut having a good old cup of joe, for all we know, right? Maybe he was at the park feeding the birds. I don't know. Or maybe, just maybe, he was visiting the sick and the imprisoned, clothing the naked and feeding the hungry. No one knows. We are only told of where Thomas wasn't in the upper room. Thomas was not locked in that room in fear. He was not with his besties hiding out in the corner behind a curtain. Now our tendency here is to berate Thomas for being absent. We berate him because there have been times when we ourselves have been late or absent and missed something important. We revile Thomas because he represents all those people that we think should be here, but they're not. We berate Thomas because when he was told about the resurrection, he refused to believe it. I find that incredible. Why in the world wouldn't he believe what the others, his best friends, his fellow disciples, the guys, the dudes, the bros, is that the right vernacular, Callie? The bros? Or is it bro? I don't know. The other Jesus freaks, if you will. Why wouldn't he believe what they told him? Certainly Thomas was no different than the other ten disciples. I mean, when the women told them, they thought that what the girls said was baloney. They didn't believe him. Why don't we scold the other ten like we scold Thomas? Why don't we say to the other ten, the doubting ten, but we say doubting Thomas? You know, we, we really do know very little about the disciple Thomas. Honestly, we really don't even know his name. He's known by a characteristic only. He was a twin. That is what Thomas means in Aramaic. So he's identified very simply as the twin. He is listed right smack in the middle of the 12 disciples in all four of the Gospels. Whether that means he was always in the middle of things, meddling in everybody's stuff, or that he was just an average Joe going about his business, we'll never know. The way he interacts with others gives some clue to what Thomas was like. When Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, all the disciples tried their very best to talk him out of it. They didn't want him going into the lion's den in Jerusalem. Jesus, you got to be kidding me. You, seriously? You're going to do that? That's a bad idea, dude. It is a bad idea but not Thomas. In John eleven sixteen, it was Thomas who said, let's go with the teacher so that we may die with him. Whoa! Whoa! I wonder if that statement 
expresses sad resignation to the outcome of the situation or fierce loyalty and commitment and faith in Jesus' promises. If he is expressing this loyal commitment, he would later abandon that loyalty because he, like his peers, scattered when facing Jesus' execution. During the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, he said that he was going away and that they would know where he was going. Well, I mean, perhaps the rest of them knew. Perhaps they knew what was going to be happening, but Thomas did not. And he was not afraid to admit it. He expressed that he hadn't the foggiest idea what was going on. He didn't know where Jesus was going, much less how he was going to get there. I'll tell you what, I really like this Thomas guy. He's very cut and dry, very black and white. You got to spell things out for old Tommy boy. And you know what? He's rarely afraid to ask those tough questions. You know, the kind that makes everybody nervous because we don't really know the answer to them. The kind that make you nervously laugh in the corner and defer to somebody else. Not one of the disciples thought that you ought to admit that you didn't know what was going on. None of them, except Thomas. Thomas himself was a man of integrity. He refused to silence that integrity of his own mind. Faith and reason would be joined together for Thomas. Or he would know the reasons why not. This type of integrity is essential for emotional, mental, physical, and even spiritual health. There are plenty of people around who just clearly indicate that when it comes to matters of religion, don't think, just believe. Ask no questions. Thomas was one who said that faith was a matter of both the heart and the mind, and failing to weave both faith and reason together would be a breach of integrity to Thomas. Author Boris Pasternak wrote in his famous novel, Dr. Zhivago, your health is bound to be affected if day after day you say the opposite of what you feel, if you grovel before what you dislike, and rejoice at what brings nothing but misfortune. Our nervous system isn't just a fiction. It's part of our physical body. And our soul exists in space and is inside of us, like the teeth in our mouth. It can't be forever violated with impunity. It's really disheartening when a person is dishonest with himself and with others by struggling to separate faith and reason, seeking to please others by saying something that they don't believe and acting on something they have no convictions for. Spiritually and physically, that's when your health is ruined. Thomas refused to walk that path because he was a person of honesty. And as honest as Thomas was, he was also a bit of a skeptic. A little doubtful. He was a realist. I mean, come on. 
His world left zero room for a resurrection, right? When a person dies, they're dead. They're gone. Not here. Buried. Hasta la vista. I mean, he stood there. He watched Jesus die. Right? Then they took him away. Right? And Thomas was not going to accept any hearsay or secondhand faith. While doubting the idea of resurrection, Thomas did not, this is important, he did not put down the beliefs of the other guys or even attempt to force anyone to be doubtful like he was when the guys, the disciples, told Tom that Christ was indeed alive, he did not say, listen, you guys have been hitting the water wine just a little too much this week. I think you're a little crazy. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, I'm going to believe that when I see it. When I have firsthand experience of seeing the scars and putting my hand in his side, I'll believe it. Friends, our faith cannot simply depend on the experience of others. We certainly benefit from knowing and hearing about the faith journeys of others and what twists and turns they've experienced and how far those things have brought them in their faith. We appreciate and are strengthened by the comparisons and the contrasts, by similarities and differences in experiences. But we cannot simply adopt the faith of another. We have to move beyond the faith of our parents, the faith of our teachers, the faith of our ministers, the faith of our friends, to a faith that fits us individually. My faith is not Sandy's faith. My parents took us to church. I tell you what, my faith is completely different than when we stepped foot in church when I was 12 years old. My faith is no longer their faith. If we don't do this, if we don't find our individual faith, all we have is hand-me-down religion. And hand-me-down religion will not survive the first serious test or crisis that comes. And let me tell you, they come. Fast. Secondhand religion has little to no genuine faith in it because it just accepts blindly what is handed down to them without any question or reason. Secondhand religion doesn't usually survive the first serious grief, the first major temptation. Heck, the first year of college. Some don't have much religion to lose. And what some have isn't even worth keeping because it really isn't theirs. When the disciples told Thomas about the resurrection, I believe that there was part of him that wanted to be like, oh, yeah, totally. 
totally believe that. Absolutely. Sweet. I mean, after all, ten of his very best friends couldn't possibly be wrong, right? But honest Thomas just could not blindly agree to something he hadn't experienced. He had no desire to fake belief in that, in that thing that somebody was telling him. Many Christians have been suspicious about inquiries that may upset the supposedly revealed truths of the church. Copernicus, Galileo, and Darwin have been opposed and denounced by so many within the church. Such attitudes prompted Norwegian poet Arnulf Overland to observe, the believer is not supposed to think, but to believe. Thomas was a person of both honesty and doubt. He refused to say that he believed when he didn't. Now, it's really important to note that there's no evidence of coercion on the part of the other ten disciples to force Thomas to believe what they're telling him. But there's also no indication, this is super important, this is for all of you kids out there, you middle schoolers for certain, there's also no indication that by Thomas refusing to believe in what everybody else was saying, that that was a threat to the unity of their relationship. You hear that? There was no bullying. Right? And just because, just because Thomas believed one thing and the rest of these goofballs over here didn't believe the same thing, it didn't cause a fight. It didn't cause them to say, oh, we don't like you anymore. Sit by yourself at the lunch table. Thomas, and I think, honestly, the other disciples, realized that no one's faith can rest on another person's experience. His faith in God had to have firsthand experience. Thomas was a person of honesty, a person of doubt, and a person of commitment. He had been straightforward in his observations and honest doubt. He needed proof, first-hand, rock-solid proof of the resurrection. I really wonder how he reacted a week later when all of a sudden Jesus appears again in a locked room and invited him to touch his scars. Did he say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Hmm? How did you know that I said that? All of a sudden, Thomas no longer needed proof. Without even touching Jesus at all, Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God. His faith had been reaffirmed. Our buddy Thomas, he was late to the party. But boy, did he catch up quick. My Lord would have been a sufficient greeting for Jesus. Magnificent, really. But no, he spoke to Jesus as Israel had spoken to Yahweh. My Lord and my God. These are the last words of a disciple recorded by John. Thomas had said all that needed to be said. We have often berated Thomas 
calling him Doubting Thomas. Why haven't we given equal time to the huge leap of faith that he expressed in his confession and commitment and instead called him Believing Thomas? In the presence of Jesus Christ, Thomas's faith was made whole again. Seeing was not just believing. Commitment came totally separate from verified proof. Doubt dissolved and assurance emerged. The honesty of Thomas was still intact. His confession was a statement of fact. John closes this chapter of scripture this way, a little bit different than how we read it. These have been written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you may have life. John is talking to and about the readers of his gospel. Uh, that's, that's you guys and me, just in case anybody needs to know that. He's talking to us. The Bible is intended to produce in us the kind of faith that we see in Thomas. The kind of faith that begins with honesty, where everything is on the table. Faith and reason learn to work together. No questions dodged, no convictions silenced. If doubts arise, and let me tell you, they will I don't care if you're a baby Christian, or you're an older Christian, or you are ready to be knocking on the pearly gates. Those doubts will come. And if they do, so be it. Doubt can be extremely beneficial in our faith journeys. I mean, after all, doubt is the mother of faith. Now, you may have come to genuine, first-hand faith in the resurrected Christ in another way. That's awesome. Please, celebrate. Maybe Mary Magdalene or Peter or some other disciple or Bible character is the model for you. But for me, Thomas and I were simpatico. If you feel you need to come to faith in the risen Lord Jesus, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't walk away. You, my friends, are allowed to have doubts. You are allowed to have questions. You are allowed to struggle with reconciling faith and reason. But you know what? I give you Thomas as a role model. He is the patron saint for all of us who come late to the party. But still, we come. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the ability to ask questions without fear of retribution or rebuke. We thank you for the doubts that do arise because we know that from those doubts comes the kind of faith that cannot be shaken. 
Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die on a cross for all of us, to then be resurrected and walk on this earth once again as proof of a promise fulfilled, a love without end. May we all rest in that hope, in that peace, in that comfort of knowing what's coming next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.